Hello, listeners, and welcome to a brand new episode of You Scared of This, the weekly podcast where two grown men watch every single episode of Nickelodeon's classic horror anthology series, Are You Afraid of the Dark?, and then discuss whether or not it is scary. Spoiler alert, the answer is usually no, but who knows what's going to happen this week. I'm David Dykus, back from my brief hiatus, uh, joined by my best friend Eli Phillips. Hello, everyone. Hello, David. Welcome back. Eli, I want to say thank you to you and your lovely wife, Cheyenne, for steering the ship last week uh, with the tale of the Whispering Walls. And I also want to say I am sorry that last week you had to steer the ship by watching the tale of the Whispering Walls, because that was a shit episode. It's really funny to see what happens to this show when you're gone for one one episode, because the audio quality was terrible, the episode we watched was terrible, everything was terrible. Clearly I am the glue here. Uh, but no, I do want to thank Cheyenne for filling in. Uh, she did a commendable job. She had a daunting task before, and she did a great job, so thank you, Cheyenne. Will we see her again on the podcast? Maybe... Yes. Well, hopefully next time we can find her a more choice episode to watch. It's a shame she couldn't have seen this one. Because this week, we have The Tale of the Full Moon, written and directed by Ron Oliver, one of our favorite directors on the show, a man who has up to this point basically been a collection of ridiculous camera tricks and personal flourishes. He is the sole creative force behind this week's episode, and he completely delivers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he has the writing and directing credit on this episode, and it shows so much. Boy, does it ever. Uh, This is The Tale of the Full Moon, which originally aired August 31st, 1993. Yeah, and this is sort of a special episode. They do something that I really enjoy here. Yeah, shall we? Let's just dive right into the episode. Sure. The episode starts with everyone already around the campfire, and Gary is standing behind the stone throne... And Frank is sitting on the stone throne. Yeah, they are here to celebrate a special occasion. They say it's been one year since Frank joined the Midnight Society. Which is a cool thing for them to acknowledge. It is a cool thing for them to acknowledge. I liked the bit of continuity here where they all the kids talk about the tale of the Phantom Cab. They mention Dr. Vink and like everyone has such fond memories of that story. Vink's the name. Dr. Vink. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, was also a Ron Oliver directed joint. Yeah, yeah. First episode, Ron Oliver. And Gary says that, per tradition, uh, Frank is going to tell a story to commemorate his induction into the the group. And Frank says he's got the perfect one for a night like this, and he gestures up at the full moon. Yeah, Betty Ann is very excited by this. She says, a full moon. It's, I'm going to bring this back here. It's interesting seeing the kids' expression uh, prior to the story. They're all sitting around just wide-eyed and grinning and, like, enraptured by this tale that Frank is going to tell. And yeah, for the second week in a row, we're told we're going to have a story about the full moon and something supernatural happening when the moon is full. That's true. Uh, By the way, I checked. Uh, Do you know how often a full moon on leap year actually happens? I don't know. It happens roughly once every hundred years. Uh, The last one was in 1972, and the next one will be in, I think, 2048. So we'll have to celebrate. Uh, After last week's episode, I'm thinking that maybe I just don't want to acknowledge uh, that sort of (laughs) celestial event. Whenever there's a full moon on leap year, we'll just stay in bed and sleep all day. Agreed. But yeah, Frank says this is a full, this story has something to do with the full moon. I think we know where it's going. Yeah, yeah. And he kicks this shit off by throwing the mystical coffee creamer into the mystical fire. Frank introduces the tale of the full moon. And right off the bat, the tone is set. This is not going to be a serious episode. No. We meet our two young protagonists immediately. 
Uh, their names are Jed and Huey, and they are pet detectives. Yeah, when he said they were pet detectives, I was kind of confused at first. I thought, is that a word that I don't know the actual meaning of, or are they actually detectives who just go out and hunt pets? Like, is this a real job that people have? I mean, I don't think Ace Ventura would have gotten his own movie if it wasn't. You can't, you can't make a movie that's not out of, based on real things. It's What a weird thing to be in the cultural zeitgeist in like the early to mid-90s. These are literally the only two instances of Pet Detective that I can think of are it, this episode and Ace Ventura. It has to be a real thing. But we meet these two pet detectives, uh, yeah. Jed and Huey. They're both cartoon characters. I actually really enjoy their introduction. I like it, too. Uh, we see them in their office, which is just this ramshackle, like, scrap metal hut they've built in the woods with a cardboard sign on the front. And they're taking inventory in a very, like, kitty show way of, like... Catnip mouse. Catnip mouse, check. Squeezy rubber hamburger. Squeezy rubber hamburger, check. They've, like, built themselves a little, uh, a crappy little uh, hideout in the woods. And it's... It's very TARDIS-like because the, when we see it from the outside, it looks like someone built it in 10 minutes, and on the inside, it's huge and has working electricity. Dykus, did you notice my favorite thing about their about their ramshackle little hut? Oh, yes. All oh, right. Oh, yes. I'm looking <laughs> at it right now. Uh, Huey is calling out things, and Jed is you know, saying check and loading them into a backpack. And what is in the background, not a foot away from Jed, right behind him? You know what it is. It's a men's restroom sign. <laughs> The men, the men's restroom sign. What does it mean? Is in it's built into the wall of their hut, <laughs> and it's not subtle. This is the like largest shot of the men's restroom sign that we've gotten yet. Oh, it's front and center. It's gotten more appearances on the show than Doctor Vink. You know that's true. Yeah. All right. Well, th- add this one to the tally. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to have a sound effect for whenever we. Uh, Whenever we see that damn men's restroom sign. Anyway, it pops up immediately, and I was excited about this episode from that moment forward. So the guys are going through their tools and making sure they have everything because they're going to go hunt a missing cat. And um, Huey asks Jed why he charged the old lady who has hired them $20 to find her missing cat because they normally only charge 5 Is this Is this a special cat? No. Is this lady rich? No, she's not. Uh, we're told that Jed just really wants a dog. He's trying to sell his mom on the idea of getting him a pet dog, because every boy should have a dog, or something. Yeah. During this scene, we learn that Jed is really more, like, proactive uh, of the two of them. Huey's sort of a more cautious, dweeby type. Although he does a ninja like, roll later. Well, oh, we'll get there. We will get there. And Jed really wants a dog, and he thinks that if he gives his mom 20 bucks, that'll be enough to sweeten the deal. But the puppies at the pet shop are 20 bucks a piece. But anyway, they're on the case. They're looking for this missing cat named Squeaky or Misty or something. Something like that. Something dumb. And we're treated to a montage. The first montage we've gotten in a little while. And it lasts about 45 minutes. Yep. We're treated to an epic montage of these two kids roaming the neighborhood uh, looking for this cat. It is a lot of great shots, though. I feel like they probably had a lot of fun with this. We see, like, from the view, from inside a garbage can, we see someone take the lid off of a garbage can and, like, shout down into it. We see one of them with a comically oversized magnifying glass, like, looking at uh, the stairs up to someone's front door. It's this whole thing of... might as well be Ron Oliver's demo reel, because all of his signature, like, goofy 
cartoon shots are in effect here. All yeah. this needed was a scream take, and yeah. it would be the full like spectrum of his. Uh, yeah, his ovure. They're searching and they're searching, and this goes on and on and on and on and on. I guess to show that they're thorough. This builds up to two scenes. Huey thinks he's found the cat. He sees this black, hairy lump lurching along the side of a fence. Number one, this doesn't look like a cat at all. This looks like someone's hair. Yep, uh, it's very he, clearly someone's hair. Behind a fence! Behind, like, a six-foot-tall fence. Yeah. Huey sees this, and through some amazing uh, camera trickery, we see him leap into the air, clear the entire fence, and grab this hairy object, uh, only to look up and see that he's, I guess, snatched the weave off a very perturbed woman. Yeah, like, this woman still has hair. But he's also holding hair, and her, her hair is, like, really disheveled. When he jumped over her, did a flip in the air, and stole her weave. And rolls through it like he's a fucking parkour artist. I loved the moment where he gently strokes the hair like it's a cat. As though it's a cat, yeah. I wonder if that was improvised. It was. Either, I'm sure someone like made it up in that moment. Like They see him holding it, and they, either he does it, or Ron Oliver shouts, Now pet it like it's a cat. Because it's such a weird, weird little scene. That's the end of Huey's uh, small arc here. He fails to find the cat and goes home. Jed, meanwhile, keeps going, and he eventually finds the cat's uh, leash outside of a generic-looking two-story building. Misty's the cat's name. He finds Misty's collar outside of a building and says he's going in to investigate. Brings in Tin to Lassie. Think I found Misty. The house across the street from my place. I'm going in. Jed thinks he's found the missing cat, and he wastes no time in just, like, trespassing on this property. Now hold on, Dykus. Before we jump too far ahead, I want to point out that when he finds the tag, and he looks up and realizes he's in front of a new house that has just been on the market, there's a sign in front of the house, and it's got a big sticker across it that says sold. Just gonna point out, because it's my uh, observation of random details in the background of the week. Oh, Not. no. Not the bathroom sign this time, because that was too obvious, too easy. Do you see the uh, the for sale sign? I'll go to the door. I, I don't think I can see it. The for sale sign that he walks past when he's walking up to the front door of this house is the exact same for sale sign used in The Tale of the Lonely Ghost. Why do I remember this? Because the for sale sign in The Tale of the Lonely Ghost is the very first shot you see in that episode, and we spent quite a while joking about it. The fact that it doesn't have a number or the name of a real estate agency, it's like the most generic for sale sign that you could possibly have. It just says the words for sale on it. And so we spend a lot of time joking about that sign, and I always enjoy pointing out when props from old episodes come back. So we even made a joke about it being haunted or something. So the, the ghost of the for sale sign from The Tale of the Lonely Ghost has returned. And that is Eli's random observation of crap in the background of the week. Jed goes to investigate, knocks on the door, nobody's home. He goes to the back, and what does he find? Dun-dun-dun, it's a big pile of, like, dog collars and cat collars from all over the neighborhood. Something weird and disturbing is happening here. A, th a thing worth noting is that when he's walking around this house, the it has, like, uh, a front gate kind of around the patio, and there's a massive padlock on the gate, and also there's chicken wire on the gate, as though to keep, like, any animals from escaping. It's a really odd-looking setup, and I appreciated their attention to detail here. That is good attention to detail. I had not noticed that. So Huey is around the back, and he sees a figure inside the house. His new neighbor, 
Jason Statham. Jason Statham. He sees the maybe the most generic-looking white man in the world. It's somewhere between Jason Statham and oh shoot, what's the guy that directed Apollo thirteen and Andy Ron, Griffith's or, son, Ron, Ron Howard. Howard? Yeah, it's a cross between Jason Statham and Ron Howard. This guy uh, is in his kitchen. Jed sees him preparing a bowl of raw meat. Yep, and cracking a raw egg into it. I don't know what he's making here. This is the moment where I remembered this episode from my childhood because I remember being so really? grossed out by it. Yeah. I hated, 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 hated raw hamburger meat when I was a kid. And actually, when I was young enough, I don't think I liked hamburgers at all for a period of my life. When I was, like, probably between the ages of four and seven or eight, I didn't like hamburgers at all. Whenever we'd go out to restaurants, I'd always get chicken nuggets. If they didn't have chicken nuggets, I'd get chicken fingers. If they didn't have chicken fingers, I'd get chicken sandwich. That was, like, my final resort. But I didn't even like chicken sandwiches that much because they were too close to chicken, or they were too close to hamburgers because they were in sandwich form. So that's the part of this episode that disgusts you and not the implication of something eating cats and dogs. Well, it became more gross when I realized it was cats and dogs, but I just always as a child had a really visceral reaction to seeing ground meat, which now that I think about it makes perfect sense given the fact that I eventually became a vegetarian, but I wasn't a vegetarian at the time. I loved eating meat. I just didn't like especially seeing uncooked ground beef, but Really, I just had a problem with ground beef in general. When I saw that scene, it all came flooding back to me. I was like, I've seen this episode before. I remember this. And I remembered every other detail of the episode from that moment on. But I couldn't remember anything before then as I was watching it. It's a weird total recall moment. It was very strange for me. So he sees, yeah, he sees his neighbor, uh making this weird bowl of raw meat, and then his neighbor goes upstairs for some reason. He gets a phone call. So Jed sneaks inside the house, looks at the bowl of raw meat, and then he examines the inside of the fridge. The fridge is totally empty, except for a bunch of Tupperware containers full of raw ground beef. That is the only thing that is in there. And throughout this scene where he's sneaking through the house, the soundtrack is great. It's all this, like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Like, it's very Looney Tunes. But yes, again, something suspicious is happening in this house. All they have in the refrigerator is raw meat. And at the least opportune time, Huey tries to contact Jed through the uh, their walkie-talkies. Jason Statham hears this upstairs, and he says, I'll call you back. I'll call you back. And Jed books it out the back door just in time to escape. There's even like a, a very short dramatic moment where his jacket gets caught on a nail, and he's afraid he's might he might not make it out in time. Uh, really good dramatic tension, especially in an episode that had previously had a 45-minute long search montage. Search for a cat that wasn't there. We wasted all of that time, so now we've got to really pick up the pace. So we get a, a good little scare, and then Jed escapes. Uh, but he knows that there's something amiss at this house. He does what every good child does. He sets up a camera. Whoa, 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 whoa. But first, he does what every good child would do, Dykus. He tells his mom. That is the most ridiculous story I have ever heard. But it's true! Oh, how could I forget? We meet the mom here, yeah. The best yeah, character we... in the entire episode. When when Jed gets home, we meet his mom. And we've not talked about the appearance of any character except for Jason Statham just yet. So let's pause for a moment and let's discuss our cast of characters. Because we, we glossed over what Huey and uh, Jed looked like. Huey was wearing a canary yellow polo tucked into his jeans and has the hair of young Tom Hanks, I would say. Yeah, or like Screech. Yeah, it's it's a Screech mullet. 
A Skrullet. Actually, he looks a lot like Screech. Just imagine a young Screech character carrying a clipboard and taking notes. He's like the goofy, nerdy comic relief. Whereas Jed, Jed is so cool. He's got like that Jonathan Taylor Thomas haircut that was cool yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. And he's wearing like a nice button-up shirt unbuttoned over a t-shirt. He looks like a kid that would grow up to be a Backstreet Boy. Exactly. He's so cool he has an earring. Did you notice the that he of 90s has an cool. earring? Yeah. No, I didn't. And then, of course, we have Jason Statham. Jason Ron Howard Statham. Uh, who is just this tall, balding, white dude with some sort of prominent, like, frown lines and wrinkles for a guy as young as he is. But the character that I think Ron Oliver probably had the most fun with in this episode is Jed's mom. But mom! Don't but mom me. Jed's mom is straight out of Pee Wee Herman. She has, like, this 1960s sort of, like, bouffant haircut. And she's wearing this very 50s, 60s sort of gypsy-looking outfit that's got, like, a plunging neckline. She's like a cartoon version of Amy Winehouse. They're sitting in their home, and it's all... All of the furniture is, is very 1950s. It looks like something out of Johnny Bravo. And she's holding a martini? Yeah, it's this weird, like, 50s, early 60s freak-out thing. Like, it's all kitsch. A black velvet painting on the wall. And throughout this entire thing, again, not to draw too, too much attention to the music, there's this weird surf rock playing in the background anytime there's a scene at the mom, like, anytime the mom is in the shot. Oh, they have a lampshade with tassels on it. It reminds me of that Simpsons episode where John Waters is the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he comes to their house and he's like, they're like, does our house have any camp value in it? And he says, like, everything in this house does. <laughs> everything in this mom's house has camp value. Is that the best episode of The Simpsons? I don't know. I rewatched it a couple years ago, and some of the stuff that seemed progressive then feels kind of offensive now. Yeah. There's yeah. still a lot of really good laughs in that episode, but it's not quite as... Uh, it Doesn't feels up. It feels of its time. That's fair. I don't think nowadays you would have them... If you're trying to like improve people's perception of gay people, you wouldn't have Homer and, and Bart go to the, the gay steel mill and have them all say, Hello! <gasps> it's the whole world gone insane! Oh yeah, hot stuff and coming through. And dance to CNC Music Factory. <laughs> oh my god, what's happening now? We work hard. We play hard. Yeah, stereotyping. Bad. Anyway, back to this mom. Jed tells his mom that the neighbor has raw meat and that he's a crazy person and she freaks out at her son for breaking into this house. Reasonable. Oh, hold on. Bert's going to cry for the rest of the episode if I don't take him out to pee. Can we pause? Yes. All right. I'm pausing my recording. Stay in your seat if you dare. There's more. Are you afraid of the dark after this? You have a right to know what's going on in the world. You have Nick News. What's it like to spend every day with Spider-Man? I'm Linda Ellerby. This week on Nick News, we'll meet the artist who's been drawing the comic book hero for more than 30 years. Plus, a look at the American love affair with the automobile and what's in store for the future. This and more on this week's edition of Nick News. Watch Nick News tonight at 8, 7 central on the only network for you, Nickelodeon. Watch out. It's coming back. We now return to Are You Afraid of the Dark? So, Jed tells his mom what's happened, and she freaks out at him, reasonably, because he broke into someone's house, and she insists that he not do that anymore, and that uh, 
It's very obviously all about him wanting a dog. You figure I'm going to believe this silly story of yours and let you bring home every single stray in the neighborhood just to protect them from the butcher of Maple Street. I find that to be some very dubious logic on her part. Definitely, but it's also sort of ridiculous, the idea of there being some sort of weird conspiratorial thing happening at their neighbor's house that merits her son breaking in. So, you know, she's stretching, but she's in a pretty weird situation. We get the great moment where he says, I bet Dad would have let me have a dog. And it starts playing dramatic soap opera music. The camera pans over to a shot of Jed and the mom and the estranged dad. But then the mom just slams the picture down and goes, Creep. Did you notice that they have a cardboard cutout of a fish tank behind the picture of their of his dad? All right, now I'm going to have to draw the line here. We're about to cut, like, <laughs> there is so much random crap in the background in this episode. We could, spend I, I, an, uh, we could spend an hour just pointing out stuff. I could spend an hour pointing out how in the next scene, when they cut to his bedroom, he has a Dino Riders dinosaur. He also has a, a ceramic statue. But we're not going to talk about cat. it. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> We could spend an entire episode talking about how he has a snake wrapped around his camcorder for some reason, but we're not going to talk about it. Ron Oliver has gone mad in this episode. <laughs> There's so much random crap everywhere. Anyway. Why is there a giant foam Nerf ball on his television? David Eli, I don't know. So he uses his camera, like you were saying, to spy on his neighbor. Jed goes upstairs. Uh, decides he's going to get to the bottom of this mystery one way or the other and points his video camera across the street at the neighbor's house. And sure enough, he manages to capture footage of his neighbor definitively turning into a werewolf. Yeah, the, the neighbor just happens to walk directly into frame, collapses, and when he reappears, he is wearing a pretty scary werewolf mask. I mean, the, the character is a werewolf. He's not wearing a mask. <laughs> the character did not, like, collapse below the frame and then come back up putting a, a werewolf mask on. And that is our first commercial break. Which leads to, I assume, your favorite shot of the episode when we return from the commercial. Oh, you better believe I made a note of this. We get a Rugrats-esque camera pulling out of someone's mouth shot. It's the most Ron Oliver thing ever. His mom bursts into the room wearing one of those, like, green mask things that that you put on We're going to bed as part of your beauty regimen. Obviously, she's not buying this werewolf story. For some yeah. reason, Jed can't find the videotape he just shot of it. Yeah, it, it's like it recorded the first couple seconds before the guy walks up, but then it stops working for some weird reason. So in another great Are You Afraid of the Dark cliche, the next scene we have is two kids who have just made a trip to their local library to find out about the problem. How many episodes of this show have been solved by a trip to the library? I don't know, but I do love any time a show has a shot of the spine of a book with someone's head barely peeking over it, reading it, uh, so that you can read the back of the book and know what they are reading. It's, it's like a really corny way to start your scene of exposition. Jed and Huey have gone to the library and they've checked out Huey a book Hanks. on... On something supernatural. They're reading about lycanthropy. Shapeshifters in History is the name of this book. <laughs> of course. Uh, listeners, if you could find that book, we'll give you $1 million. How is if that not a book in the Harry Potter universe that he has to read in one of his classes? Because that's what it sounds like. It had better be. I mean, this is a textbook. This is academia that they're reading. They read about what a shapeshifter is. They read that apparently Werewolf's favorite delicacy is young children. Which I appreciated. Is there anything funny here that uh, I missed? Uh, no. And following this brief bit of exposition, we cut back to the house where the mom is putting on another weird surf rock record. And hula dancing in a, in a 
like, cute 60s dress while she decorates the house. She's doing this sensual mating dance all by herself while she sets the table. We even get a surf rock rendition of the Are You Afraid of the Dark theme. We're having company? Well? Yeah! Remember that guy I told you about, the one I met bowling a couple weeks ago? The mom is setting the table. Uh, Jed comes in and asks, "What's, what, Mom, what are, you, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I'm having a date tonight. The neighbor's coming over for dinner. And the doorbell rings. Jed goes to answer it. Dun, dun, dun. It's the guy from next door. The werewolf. Yep. Jason Statham. Uh, he's, and he's holding roses, so this is some serious <laughs> shit happening here. And when we cut back to Jed, he has a look on his face like, who? His eyes are just <laughs> popping out of his head. We cut immediately to the mom uh, smelling a rose and beaming to herself as she sits at the table talking about how much she loves to cook for a man. I think the exact quote here is... Uh, it's been so long since I've had a man around to try my talents on. And her ta- I What are her talents? Because the foods on their plates are bright red, bright green, bright blue, and bright yellow. <laughs> I think the food is clearly not where her talents lie. This is a not-subtle innuendo. The food looks like the, the food fight from the movie Hook. <laughs> the imaginary food. <laughs> yeah, it's all just like bright candy-colored piles of stuff. <laughs> Jed is on edge throughout this entire dinner. During his book reading session, uh, Jed had learned that there are certain ways to tell if someone is a werewolf. They are weak to silver, and they um allergic to roses, apparently, and... They transform during a full moon. Stuff we all know if you've ever seen a, a werewolf movie. Except for the thing about roses, I didn't know that. All of these things end up being in, inconsequential. Jed proceeds to ruin this dinner by being a complete asshole to Jason Statham. He stabs the man with a fork. Ouch! How do you like that? Hop your silver Jed! Oh, wait, let's, let's do this in order. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Jason Statham says, I'm so hungry I can eat a horse. And Jed goes, or a cat? He tries to catch him in being a werewolf one more time. He throws up in the window and, like, blasts him with moonlight. This does not trigger a transformation. And finally, yeah, uh, he just stabs him in the hand with a fork. This is where uh, the mom draws the line and promptly dismisses Jed to his room. Appropriately. Way to go, mom. I mean, we know she was looking for a reason to dismiss Jed to his room, so she's probably going to, like, slip him a fiver after the date. But stabbing the man with a fork was pretty crazy. A few minutes later, she comes up to his room and says that she and... Does the man have a name? Yeah, he does, but fuck it. Jason Statham. She and Jason Statham. I'm not sure this guy does have a name. He definitely doesn't have a first name. He's only known as Mr. Anchors. She and the man are going out for coffee. Uh, she tells Jed that his food is in the Kelvinator. Your dinner is in the Kelvinator. Yeah. <laughs> Just to really reinforce the whole leave it to Beaver 50s thing they have going on. And uh, when she leaves, Jed immediately calls Huey and says, we've got to put an end to this tonight. Huey, by the way, answers the phone uh, sitting in an old-timey bathtub wearing a shower cap and goggles. He's taking a bubble bath in a clawfoot bathtub. Has his walkie-talkie with him. How did it, and, where did uh, they find all these props? I don't know. It's wonderful. The shower cap he's wearing has like flowers attached to it. Oh my god! This is this is a visual tour de force, Ron Oliver. He, we cut to Huey and Jed meeting up at night at the neighbor's house. They've brought flashlights. Maybe we should come back when there's somebody home. Like noon? So these two chuckle fucks uh, sneak up to the house with their rinky-dink little flashlights and, a uh, and sneak up to the back door. 
yeah, Huey is scared out of his mind. He does not want to be here, and uh, and Jed is very insistent. He's dragging his friend along. He pulls off his backpack and reveals that he has a crowbar. We got another wonderful exchange. This isn't happening. He's not really doing this. He's not really doing this. He really did it. They break into the house and uh, start investigating. Uh, but something's different this time. This time, all yeah. of the meat has vanished. The The cupboard is bare. The refrigerator is empty. But Huey does find one crucial piece of evidence. Uh, Jed? Yeah? What does this guy look like? I don't know. Just like an average guy. Kind of tall? Yeah. Kind of bald? <sighs> yeah, why? What difference does it make? Because I think he has a twin brother. <sighs> And at that moment, the werewolf springs up at them. The werewolf appears in all its ridiculous glory. And the boys scream and run off. So as it turns out, the whole reason that the silver didn't work, and the full moon didn't work, and the roses didn't work, is because the guy that was on a date with Jed's mom, Jason Statham, is not a werewolf. That's right. He pulled an old The Prestige trick on them. And it turns out it was his twin brother all along. And the twin werewolf appears. And we get an epic chase scene throughout the entire house. Dutch angles and screaming and running. Dutch angles are in full effect. The music is more kooky, like organ music. The werewolf himself moves like he's a member of the fucking Putty Patrol. Like, every time he appears, he jumps into frame, like, facing the camera and goes, And waves his arms around. Yes. Uh, You couldn't see me doing it, but I was doing that here uh, as I was recording. (laughs) The kids make their way to uh, the... The end of the hall. The end of the hall, the highest room in the house. A dead end. Uh, and it's a room covered with scraps and chicken wire, and it's they've gone into the monster's lair. Yeah, they've accidentally locked themselves in his room. There's just a torn-up mattress on the floor, and a bunch of, like, broken dog collars, and a picture on the wall with the word mom written on it. Yeah, I noticed a, that! A, a black and white photo of a woman with the word mom written, like scribbled on it in crayon. It's a, it's a photo. It's a black and white photo framed, hanging on the wall next to a bunch of chains, and it just says mom. Oh, we've got to stop talking about the background stuff here. The monster breaks in. The monster has him cornered. Uh, it looks like our heroes are about to be eaten by a werewolf. When uh, yep. suddenly, Jed pulls out. Chekhov's whistle. He grabs the dog whistle he's had this whole time. The dog whistle that was referenced like at the very beginning of the episode. He gets the kick-ass one-liner before he does it. Bad dog. How does he know it's going to work? He could be, like, screwed here. (laughs) That would have been much funnier if he'd said the line and it hadn't worked at all. Bad dog. Cut to Frank. The end. And everyone in the Midnight Society is, like, shocked. (laughs) David is crying. (laughs) That is not what happens. (laughs) Instead, the werewolf falls to its knees, covering its ears. As the boys back towards the door. This picture, the picture of Mom. He collapses next to the photo of his mother. (laughs) That's going to be the cover photo for for, uh, this week's episode, by the way. Uh, If you want to see this, go to our Facebook page. So as the kids are escaping, they're prevented from leaving by Jason Statham, who comes through the door. Yeah, he's returned from his date. He says there's an explanation for all of this. Which makes you wonder, was he bringing Jed's mom back to his place to, uh... He goes over to his brother, pets him (laughs) on the head, and says... Lycanthropy is a terrible disease. 
Did you know and, and that Jen, every Jen every is... year, as many as uh, I'm trying to do a joke there, it's not going to work uh, for just seven cents a day. <laughs> Jason Statham comes in, says that it's his brother, and he has to take good care of him. That others have suggested that he put his brother out of his misery, but he can't do it. And then we get the twist, which is um, the mom entering. I already know. Because I guess we talked about it over coffee. That this man's brother is a werewolf. Jason Statham says, you know, there are other kinds of family. I take care of my brother, and, you know, maybe we can take care of each other or something. Jay looks at the werewolf, and the werewolf smiles a big, ridiculous grin. It's panting like a dog while Jason Statham pets it. It's even scarier than when it's scowling. I was impressed with the fact that their mask was able to articulate in that way, though. Yeah, I was too. The mouth can't close, but it can smile and it can uh, growl, and that's about it. Fortunately, the episode doesn't call for any more range of emotion than that. So we cut to the future, uh, and we're told that Jed's mom married the man. It wasn't long before Jed's mom married the man from across the street. They all moved in together, like a family. And that Jed finally got to have his dog. It's a great scene. Uh, everyone is wearing Hawaiian shirts, and Jason Statham is grilling. They're having a backyard barbecue. They've got, like, lights hanging up and flamingos in the yard. And we see Jed throw an enormous stick. He's like, I'm going to go really long on this one. And then the stick flies in front of the full moon, and a werewolf arm wearing a Hawaiian shirt reaches up and grabs the stick and catches it midair. Yeah, you just see the hand from the bottom of the frame reach up and grab the stick like it's a... I don't know, what did this remind you of? Like a propaganda poster or something? It looks like a raised fist or something in front of the full moon. I'm going to make a poster of that. And that's our closing shot! That's it! We cut back to the Midnight Society. And if you'll remember, at the beginning of the episode, they all have these big smiles on their face. They're all really excited to hear this story. When we see their expressions after this story ends, their faces clearly say, what the fuck was that? (laughs) David in particular looks heartbroken. I'm not sure what his acting choice was there, but he looks incredibly disappointed in his decisions in life. We got rid of Eric for this. (laughs) Frank says the end. There's no discussion of the story. No great job, Frank. None of that. They just tell him, uh, all right, moving on. Well, Frank, since you've been here a year, we got you a special <laughs> surprise. Frank looks kind of nervous at this. They pull out a bunch of hot dogs. They say, we got you some Franks, because your name is Frank, and they're Frankenfooters. And everyone roasts hot dogs while the the crazy surf music plays in the background one last time. And then Rockin' Awesome theme song. Rockin' Awesome theme song, motherfuckers. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) This has been quite a journey that we've had with Mr. Ron Oliver so far, from the first episode to here. You and I were discussing this off camera. Season 2 has not been... has not lived up to our expectations, I don't think. We've had a lot of mediocre to bad episodes. We've had a few standouts, like the Midnight Madness. This redeems the entire season. This is Ron Oliver operating at his absolute full potential. If this episode had immediately followed the tale of the Phantom Cab or the tale of Laughing in the Dark, I don't think they could have ever, like, come back from that in any specific way. His episodes, those three in particular, are so specific in their style. Not just in the visual style, but in the tone of the episodes. 
the way that you have sort of like these goofy moments and the overly dramatic hammy screen takes run over like if you watch enough of his episodes in a row you really understand his style and this is definitely his final form this is peak run oliver there is a clear tone throughout the entirety of this episode which is we're not taking any of this seriously <laughs> and that works very much to the the episode's benefit and to, that works to our advantage this is a, after after two relatively serious episodes this is a great palate cleanser it's hilarious the music is great the characters are great we have clearly defined characters in this one even if they're all yeah. cartoon characters, uh, which helps yeah. it a lot. So I would say definitely track this one down. This is a remarkable episode that I don't think a lot of people talk about. It's weird to me that it's not a more iconic episode because it's so much fun. As a werewolf story, like it's such a great werewolf story. The twist of it is really fun. The werewolf himself is just scary enough i mean he's in no way scary at all but he's just scary enough to not ruin those scenes like they they give it just enough it's uh, a scary mask it has these very like beady eyes and the teeth are huge and slimy but but it's not on screen long enough none of the scenes that it's in i mean i guess if i was no older than six years old and i saw the the scene where he turns into a werewolf uh and the chase scene I would think this was a legitimately scary show, but the second you're like seven years old and up, you start to see the humor of this episode and you realize how fun it is. Uh, it's just great. Eli, you already touched on it a little bit, but I guess I'll go ahead and ask the question. Um, <laughs> you scared of this? <laughs> I'm only scared of not getting more of this. This episode is, like I said, uh, the age the age limit on this is six. Anyone six years old uh, might be scared of this, but... Anyone else in the world, I think, is going to find this episode fun and funny. And it, it's no, it's just not a scary episode. I'm going to actually split the decision here. I think the werewolf himself is scary enough to give this a yes. The, like, the episode overall, absolutely not. This is hilarious and a delight. The werewolf, though, before he is relegated to being a joke, uh, before he's hopping around like a putty patrol, he's actually kind of scary. Like we said, this is a very detailed mask. And I think if I were... And maybe a little older than six. I think it might have scared me. So I'm going to give this a a very conditional yes. You know, uh, I recommended a book to you recently called The Caped Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture, which is this thorough examination of Batman's relationship to pop culture over the course of his existence. And the author of the book talks about how when he was a kid, he was just old enough to watch uh, the Batman 66 TV show and how, at the time, he took it totally seriously. And, you know, looking back at that show, you realize it's it's just goofy camp, but as a child, it was super exciting to see the adventures of Batman and Robin every week, and you didn't think of it as a joke, you thought of it as being cool. And I guess in that regard, this episode, like, as a kid, you know, the jokes would have been fine, but the tone, uh, the horror tone of it would have maybe come through a lot louder and I would have taken it more seriously. So even though I think that as a kid I wouldn't have been scared of it, I can definitely see what you're saying about someone, you know, maybe seven or eight years old even, still being scared of that werewolf. Because like the ghost in The Tale of the Frozen Ghost, the visual of that werewolf is scary. And if you're a kid who is afraid of werewolves in any way, that could very easily become sort of the iconic image that you keep in your mind. Yeah, this is, I mean, we talked about this before. The scary stuff is what sticks with you when you're a kid. And you don't, as a kid, you don't really know what camp is. It's just like, why yeah. are all these characters behaving, like, in this bizarre, surreal manner? Like, yeah. You know what I mean here. I, so, uh, yeah, a very conditional 
Yes, but I wouldn't change a thing about this episode. Fair assessment. Um, is it the best episode of season two so far? That was something that you brought up with me, and I think it's worth discussing. Uh, season two has episodes like this and episodes like the tale of the midnight madness i think this is going to be a situation kind of like what we ran into in season one where we love lonely ghosts and we love the tale of the dark music but for totally different reasons i think midnight madness is probably a better representation of what they of what dj wanted are you afraid of the dark to be an episode with some comedy and but some actually genuinely frightening moments whereas the tale of the full moon uh, is borderline parody. The tale of the full moon reminds me a lot of those scenes in Angry Beavers where they're watching, like, 1950s TV shows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's one of those expanded out into a full episode. So, yeah, you saying that it's, it borders on parody is really, really appropriate. Yeah, I, I'm looking over the list of episodes from the season. The tale of the Midnight Madness, uh, the tale of the 13th floor, and now this. Uh, man, I, I can't even put the Frozen Ghost that high, if I'm being honest. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, you know what? Here we are. We've been talking about how Season 2 has been kind of uh, a letdown at points, but when I look at the list, uh, it's got some some of the best episodes of the, se- of the series so far, and this is definitely high on that list. So, way to go, Frank. Way to go, Ron. Next week, the episode will be taking a more somber tone as we review the tale of the shiny red bicycle. At least, I think this is a somber tone. Uh, It was directed by David Winning and written by Cassandra... Schaffhausen. Schaffhausen. Who will have a couple of episodes. And that story will be told by David. Yeah, so we can look forward to that. Expect an emotional affair. Yeah, you can can tell we've got a David episode coming up, because on the Wikipedia, where it lists the primary antagonist, it just says none. Yeah. (laughs) What a David story. Anyway, so we have that to look forward to next time. Uh, Until then, thanks for joining us, everyone. Be sure uh, if you want more engagement with us. Wait, I want to do something. I want to do something else. Hang on. Oh, yeah, yeah, please. Just want to say thanks again to Cheyenne for filling in. Uh, I want to apologize to the listeners for the slow schedule. I'm going to try to, I think we're going to change the schedule a little bit uh, going forward from here. Uh, from this point on, I'm going to try to start posting new episodes on Fridays. Uh, my and Eli's schedules have changed a little bit, so we're having to change our recording schedule accordingly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Friday going forward, I think Fridays are going to be the day, so uh, mark your calendars. Yep, look forward to that. And and while we're at it, I want to plug something really quickly, uh, a belated plug for something I worked on, if that's okay. Oh, yeah. Back in June, I helped work on a song for Homestuck Volume 10. Homestuck, of course, popular webcomic. I helped compose a song called You Killed My Father, Prepare to Die that appeared on Volume 10 of the Homestuck Companion Musical Albums. It's a symphonic metal song based on the events of the comic. So if that sounds up your alley, uh, go buy the album and give me money. Yeah, give Dykus money. Or, you know, just give me some money. (laughs) You know, just donate to our Patreon. Our Patreon, where uh, you can find our complete reviews of the TV series Goosebumps. We review yep. every episode of Tales from the Crypt Keeper, the cartoon based on the live-action show. Oh, fun fact, uh, the guy who played Jed in this episode was on that. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah, I checked it on his IMDb. <laughs> Sorry, I killed our Patreon joke. We don't have a Patreon. We'll never have a Patreon. At least don't think we <laughs> never will. Never going to have a Patreon. So we'll see you all next time. Uh, until then... Uh, follow us on Twitter at You Scared of This. Uh, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash You Scared of This. And if you're not listening to us on uh, iTunes, 
then you can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash this. If you are following us on iTunes, leave a review. We would love that. Uh, leave us a review and tell us what your favorite episode of the show is in the comments. If you love us, you'll leave a review on iTunes. If you love us at all, and, and at least one of you is my wife, so I expect an iTunes review. Okay, with that business taken care of, let's adjourn this meeting. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go have some roast Frank. I declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. Bye. <laughs> that was your outro. Bye. That's, that, that's my uh, Stuart Wellington reference. Oh, yeah.